Good morning. I like it. Y'all a little raucous. Y'all a little raucous today. I like it. I like the energy. It's raining out, but you came anyway. It means a lot. Those of you that are at home watching online, thanks for tuning in. Go ahead and click that share button for me because other people are going to need to hear this word this morning. Y'all got any pet peeves? Got pet peeves? How many of you, like, one of your pet peeves is like the shopping cart thing? People who just leave their cart in the lot? Anybody? Yeah? I got some pet peeves. I've talked about one of them a couple times. Like when people take forever to turn right when they're driving, you know? I think I've shared that with you before. I get it. You can't, you can't take a right turn at the same speed you can take a left turn at, but you don't have to come to a complete stop, right? The turn drives me insane. One I became aware of last month, uh, I had knee surgery, so I was, you know, going to the doctor a lot for different things, and like when you have to fill out the exact same form every single time you go to the doctor, you know what I mean? I was like, I just filled this thing out. Uh, part of me was like, you want me to keep this and I can just bring it back next time? Because you obviously, yeah, you obviously don't know where it's at, so... um. Maybe I'll do that next time. I got all sorts of pet peeves. Uh, one of the ones that really drives me nuts is when somebody comes to you and they're like, hey, listen, got something really important I need to talk to you about. But I can't talk to you about it right now. <laughs> Doesn't that, I mean, that just drives me insane. It's like, this could wait, right? Because either now I'm going to be thinking about it all day or I got a feeling I know what it's about. And I don't want to be around you, so I'll avoid you, right? It's like, just, just spring it on me all at once. That's one of my biggest pet peeves. The funny thing is I feel like I kind of did that to y'all with this morning's message. Like, those of you that, you know, keep up with social media, the preview post on Friday is like, I'm not telling you what we're talking about, I'm going to keep it secret, right, but it's important. I kind of did that to you, but there's a big part of me, I really wanted to keep today's topic a secret. I wanted to keep it a bit of a surprise. You know, we're uh, wrapping up a series this morning called Heart of the Matter, but I got to let you know, we're not, we're not done talking about the heart. After Easter, we're going to get into another series it's really about the practices and rhythms can, that can help strengthen our hearts. I think we all want to do that, right? But this series is all about living from the inside out. And we've been dragging up some of the stuff that can get stuck in our hearts and make a mess of our lives. You know, because it's only a matter of time, right? Before whatever's in here is going to make, make its way out there. Right? And so one of the things we've been doing is sort of dragging some of that stuff up. Right? And I wanted to keep today's topic a secret because it's a topic that, I mean, if you would have known what we were going to talk about, either you would have stayed home because you didn't think it applied to you, or... You would have come thinking we're going to talk about everybody else, right? We've talked about anger so far. Talked about envy and guilt. This morning, I want to talk about greed. Y'all say greed. I want to talk about greed. Some of you are like, I thought he was going to talk about sex, right? (laughs) I want to talk about greed. Greed's sneaky, isn't it? Greed is sneaky. It's something that's really easy to see in the world around us, but it's much harder to see in the mirror. I think most, if not all, if I were to ask you, do you think, you know, look, look at the world we live in, look how things are, do you think greed's a problem? What would you say? Yeah, yeah. there's probably a whole lot of greedy people, right? But how many of us would actually say, you know what, I am, I am greedy? I don't know many of us would just sort of readily kind of recognize that in ourselves. In fact, uh, Timothy Keller is a pastor I admire, respect a lot. Uh, he's been a pastor in New York City for over 30 years. Some of you maybe have read some of his books but I remember him commenting one time in a conversation. He said, you know, I've been pastoring for over 30 years, and there's only one sin that I don't think somebody has confessed to me. Greed. And that's interesting. That's, that's kind of true to my own experience. You know, as a pastor, I mean, one of the most, the biggest honors is that you get invited into people's messes, right? I've had people share with me some of their deepest and darkest. But if I think about it, I don't know that I've had ever anybody come to me and say, you know what, Nick, my biggest problem is I'm just greedy. 
No, greed's, greed's sneaky. It's one of those things, it's really easy for us to see it in other people, but it's a little harder for us to recognize it in the mirror. But that doesn't mean that it isn't in there. In fact, if I'm honest, out of everything we've talked about so far, anger, guilt, envy, out of all the, I think this is the most prevalent. And I think it's doing some of the most damage. There's a reason why we have a hard time recognizing it in ourselves. We're going to get into that here in a bit. But I think this is a message. I'm a little nervous talking about it. Because, again, I think there's something in us that can get a little defensive. Right, whenever we start talking about our relationship with our stuff. And so I just want to pray. I want to pray more than anything that God would help us just to be humble this morning. Right, to drop our defenses. To be open to hearing something maybe we really need to hear. Right? And that we can all trust it's coming from a really good place. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for the people you've brought here today. I thank you for what can happen whenever your people come together with an awareness of your presence, with an openness to hearing from your word. Man, so many amazing things can happen. So I pray that something happens this morning. Maybe there's somebody in here who's, who's been needed to be challenged about something in their life. That's been choking them out. Maybe there's somebody here today who's known for a long time. It's, it's time to, um, to walk away from something, to get something out of our lives. Maybe to morning, this morning is just that time that finally pushes them over the edge and, and moves them to do that. Just whatever it is, Lord, speak to us and help us to hear you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this teaching from Jesus, it starts with what kind of feels like a Jerry Springer moment. You remember those TV shows? It's like he's teaching and this guy sort of yells out, you know, from the crowd, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance up with me. So apparently this guy wants Jesus to play mediator between him and his brother. They've gotten some sort of family inheritance and they're fighting about how to divide it up. Not much has changed in 2,000 years. Am I right? There's this one study that I, uh, I read about this week. It went on for 20 years. This is how long the study was conducted for. So a very long time, right? But the study found that 70% of the families lose a significant amount of an inheritance due to legal battles and infighting, right? What do you think's behind that? I'll just leave that here for you. But what I love is Jesus is like, nope, <laughs> not my circus, not my monkeys, right? He's like, this is not a fight that I want to get into. This is not why I'm here. Right? I don't, I don't want to get involved in all of that. But then he goes on to say this. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. That last phrase is interesting. All kinds of greed. One of the things it implies is that there's more than just one kind of greed. When we tend to think of greed, we tend to only think of like one kind. The Ebenezer Scrooge kind. Right, like this sort of old miser who just hoards everything. Right, they don't spend any money on themselves. They don't spend any money on anybody else. They just kind of keep it all to themselves. That's what we tend to think about when we tend to think about greed. But there is more than one kind of greed. And I'll say this: you know what? Greed is an equal opportunity heart issue. There's wealthy, greedy people, and there's poor, greedy people. Greed is not so much about how much you have. But it's really about your relationship towards your stuff. Because listen to what Jesus says next. He kind of gives us a, a definition of what he sort of means when he talks about greed. 
He says this, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. See, this gets to the heart of what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about greed. Greed is getting the best of us when it convinces our heart that the, that the quality of life is equal to the acquisition of more stuff. See, greed wants to convince us that more is always better. I mean, that's, that's the farmer's issue, right, in the parable? This is what the farmer believes. His land produces this, this amazing harvest where he gets way more crops than he needed, and instead of being content with enough, right, he's got these barns, and the barns can't hold all of it, and so instead of just being content with what he can have and then giving the rest away, what does he do? He tears them down, and he builds even bigger barns so he can keep more of his stuff. Bigger barn syndrome, right? Greed is this obsession with more. And notice this. This is interesting. The farmer isn't a crook. He didn't rob. He didn't steal to get this abundance, did he? No. He worked hard. He worked what was his. And yet he is still lifted up as a picture of what it looks like when greed starts calling the shots. That's interesting. I think this is important for us to notice. Because one of the reasons why greed is so hard for us to see in ourselves is because it often gets camouflaged as a virtue. We noblize it in our culture. Right? We noblize it in order to justify it. We call it hard work. I'm just working hard, right? I've earned it. I deserve this. I'm just grinding in order to be able to provide for my family, set them up nicely, give them what I didn't have. We noblize it. Call it what you want. Jesus would still call it greed. Whenever we're obsessed with more than what we need, whenever we think we have to have more than what we need, greed is calling the shots. I mean, one of the things that made Jesus so provocative but also so attractive, especially to the poor, is that he challenged this widely held assumption of his day that to be rich, that to have a lot of stuff, was to be favored by God. That was the dominant way of thinking about things in Jesus' day. It's like, you want to know where somebody stood with God? Look at their life. Are they wealthy? Do they have a lot of stuff? Then obviously they're good with God. But if things aren't going well for them, if they happen to be poor, they don't have as much as everybody else, or maybe somebody's sick. The natural assumption was, well, then you must be, you and God are on good terms. That's why this is happening with you. The dominant belief was how much stuff you had was, was a picture of God's, you know, does God like you or not? I mean, think about Jesus' encounter with the rich young man. Remember that story? The rich young guy, he's wealthy, he's got all this stuff going for him, but he comes up to Jesus, right, and he says, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? It's funny because he's been doing it the way everybody says you're supposed to do it. He's got all the stuff, he's got all the money, he's got all that, and it's not working. And he's like, what do I got to do to get eternal life? And he and Jesus have this really interesting conversation, but essentially he tells him, go sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. And he can't do it, he goes away sad. And then Jesus talks about how hard it is for the rich to enter into the way of God, the kingdom of God. And the disciples are blown away by this. This is the part we often we miss. The disciples are sort of, what? What? I mean, they say, if, if, who, who then can be saved is the question they ask. Because their assumption is, if there's anybody who's close to the kingdom of God, it's this guy. I mean, look at his life. He's got everything going for him. You're telling me he's not close? And if he's not close, then who is? See, Jesus blew this up 
There was this assumption that to have more was to be good and to be closer to God. This assumption is alive and well today. I would say the church sometimes is the biggest per- per- perpetrator of this. It's the, it's the prosperity gospel. It's like we think the best thing God can do for us is give us more stuff. If you read through the gospels, Jesus never talked about wealth like it was an advantage. For him, it was always something to be weary of. More often than not, it's the thing that's going to get in the way of you experiencing the full kind of life that God has for you. But this assumption is alive and well. Wouldn't you agree? This assumption that more is always better. Man, we are obsessed with this. So much so that we have way more than we need, but it still feels like it's never enough. I just saw an updated study on this. But they found that people who make between $100,000 and $150,000 a year, that sounds like a lot of money to me. I'm a pastor. I'm like, whoa. That sounds like a whole lot of money, right? People who make that kind of money still live paycheck to paycheck. More than half of them have less than $1,000 in the bank. And one of the researchers said it like this, it seems like the more you earn, the more you spend. Man, $100,000, $150,000 a year, nothing to show for it. So where is all the money going? You want to know? Let's talk about that for a second, right? The average American home has at least three working televisions, okay? Now, what's interesting is the average American household consists of 2.5 people, which is strange to think about. There's like a bunch of half people running around, right? It's just kind of weird. But we got more TVs than people. And then more than a quarter of us who have a two-car garage can't park a car in it because why? Too much stuff in there. And keep that in mind when the average American home size has tripled in the last 50 years. And so what do we do when we got too much stuff in our garage? Bigger barn syndrome, right? Put a shed in the backyard. Or we go rent a place. Y'all have heard me talk about storage units. Uh, bane of my existence. If you're here and you manage a storage unit, I love you. It's not your fault. It's a good business investment. It really is. But it's, we have, I mean, there are more storage rental facilities than Starbucks in America. Do you know that? I'm seriously. It's crazy. Actually, we have more, five times more storage unit facilities than Starbucks. In fact, there is 7.3 feet of self-storage space for every man, woman, and child in the United States. That's how much we got. This is bigger barn syndrome. We got way more than we need, but it's never enough. Never enough. You see, we struggle to recognize greed for the same reason a fish doesn't notice the water it's swimming in. It's just the air that we breathe. It's normal. But just because it's normal doesn't mean it's healthy. Man, the prophet, Christopher George Wallace, once said it like this, more money, more problems. Come on, Biggie Smalls, y'all. More money, more problems. Fran's the only one in the room that got that. Wow. Jeez. No, but I mean, this is the truth. We are the wealthiest country in the world, but we're also the most medicated, the most depressed, and the most anxious. There is a correlation here. There is. I mean, the World Health Organization did this study a while back, and they found that the wealthier countries are without a doubt the most stressed, the most anxious 
And they didn't expect to find this going into the study. They had some bias. But they went into the study thinking that the countries that were the most anxious and dealing with the most mental health problems were going to be countries that had unstable governments or a lack of resources. That's not what they found. The wealthier countries dealt with the most anxiety. There is a real connection between affluence and anxiety. And guess who was affected the most? Kids. Because what do we do with our kids? We just keep putting more pressure on them. More, more, more. you got to achieve more, accomplish more. And then because we're so busy with all of our more, we don't actually have time together. And so they have a real lack of connection with their family. I mean, this is a real thing. There's a real connection between affluence and anxiety. You know, the parable that Jesus tells about the farmer and his barns, it's so lonely. It's lonely. It's one of the few parables where there's only one character. There's only a few like that. This is one of them. And this farmer is so isolated. He talks to himself. He plans for himself. He congratulates himself. Greed gets in the way of our life together. Do you know money is the second leading cause of divorce after infidelity? I mean, it causes so much conflict in some of our most important relationships. And then I'll say this. I, I see this all the time, but this obsession with more makes it hard to have any sort of meaningful relationships. I mean, the more money you have, the more opportunities you can afford. And so our schedules are so jam-packed, taking advantage of all the opportunities we can afford, we don't have time for the things that we can't afford to miss. Am I right? I mean, we can, we can put it in our calendar vacation all the time. But it's like, People used to get together for dinner on a regular basis. Did you know that? You ever try getting your friends together? <laughs> it's like everybody pulls out their calendars, you know? You might as well be doing like trigonometry or something, trying to figure out when we can get everybody together at the same time. Why? Why is it so hard? We're so busy. We're busy, busy, busy. But the question is, are we busy doing the stuff that actually matters? Like the things that are good for us. It's hard to have meaningful relationships anymore. Those take time and consistency. But a lot of times we don't even have that. We don't have that to offer. Or think about how much suffering continues in our world because of greed. Let's think about this in bigger, not just our own lives personally and relationally, but think about the bigger picture. How much suffering continues to happen in the world because of this obsession with more. Like you cannot have a productive conversation about how overproduction and overconsumption is killing the earth. You can't talk about that, especially in the church. You bring that up, immediately gets hijacked by partisan politics. You know, you actually care about the environment. You're one of those flaming liberals, that, you know, communists or whatever. It's like, hold on. Listen, caring for the environment is going to involve politics, but it's not first and foremost, not for us, it's not first and foremost a political issue. It's a faith crisis. God has given us responsibility to care for the earth, to take care of it. We only got one. You know, it would take five Earths for everybody on the planet to live like an American. This is not sustainable. It's not. We've got to be able to talk about it. And the real reason why we can't get anywhere, why? Greed. It's money. We feel entitled to have as much as we want when we want it. And if it's going to hinder that, then I don't want anything to do with it. We want our goods as cheap as possible, and we want a lot of them. The reason they're so cheap is because they aren't ethically made. And a lot of them are produced by slave labor 
or people working in unsafe and human conditions for virtually nothing, but we don't want to know about that. Right? As long as I can have access to as much as I want and it's cheap, I don't really care where it comes from. What do you call that? Greed. It's greed. It's greed. This is why our relationship with our stuff is so central for Jesus. He talks about it more than anything else. It's because greed dehumanizes us. And it leaves us building bigger barns but living empty lives. And I know how messages like this sound. I get it. They rile us. They rile me up. You know how mad I was writing this thing this week? I was mad at myself. Because it leaves you sort of feel like, well, so what? We're not supposed to, like, buy anything anymore? We're just supposed to be, like, you know, never do anything or have fun? Just like, no. Like, that's not. Jesus had a good time. I mean, I'm serious. He's eating, like, Michelin-quality meals with tax collectors. What's his first miracle? Turns water into wine to keep a wedding reception. He knew fine wine. I mean, this guy knew how to enjoy life. He did. God called the world good, which means it's meant to be enjoyed. Our life is a gift. It's not about denying that. It's about living with intention. That's what this is about. I mean, the Jesus way invites us to live with a sort of tension. It is. I mean, the goal isn't to not have anything or to not buy anything. The goal is to do so with a conscience. I'll never forget sitting down for this meal one time and the guy praying for our food. And he said, God, you know, I just want to say thank you for the food on our table. We also want to take a moment to remind ourselves that there are people out there who do not have food on their table. Do not let us forget about them. And at first I was like, Really? Like, I don't even want to eat it now, right? Like, it did look really good. Now it doesn't look good. It just felt bad. It just felt bad. I'm like, now I don't want to, I'm like, how can I enjoy this? It took me a little while to realize that wasn't the point. The point wasn't for us not to enjoy the food on our table. The do, point was just to be more aware, to be more aware of the fact that this is a gift. I should be grateful for this, not take it for granted. And to also live with this awareness, not everybody has access to this gift. It's about living with intention and embracing that tension. I mean, just imagine what would happen if every time we would make a purchase. What if we just took a moment, a pause? Just created some space, maybe for the Spirit to actually speak to us about it. Is this something that I really need? Or is there a better way to use these resources? Sometimes the answer is going to be buy it, enjoy it, indulge in it. It will be. And sometimes it won't be. Sometimes you'll feel a pause, a check. Let's just create some space for the Spirit to speak to us. So I just want to offer up a few thoughts on how I think we can live in a way with intentionality that keeps greed from getting stuck in our hearts and making a mess of our lives. About living with intention. And I want to focus in on how Jesus finishes up this teaching in Luke chapter 12. Towards the end of this section, in verse 33, listen to what he says. So sell your possessions, your extra, and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want to look at this teaching in reverse order. So let's start with that last part. I'll say it one more time. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We can talk all day about what we value. 
about what matters to us, about what we care about, the causes we're willing to champion, the people we care for. We can talk about that all day long. But nothing reveals what we really care about more clearly than our calendars and our pocketbook. I mean, your treasure reveals your heart. It's just the truth. You want to know what somebody cares about, we're here to follow you around, be able to name what you care about, where we're going to see how do you spend your time and what do you give your money to. That always reveals what, what we care most about. Heart reveals, or treasure reveals heart. It's just sort of how it works. And so I think one of the best things we can do, at least once a year, y'all, is take an audit. Take an audit. An actual inspection of our accounts. That's what an audit is. It's when you stop and you look. What am I doing with my resources? How, how am I spending my money? How am I spending my time? Where is it going to? Who is it going to? And is that in line with what I say matters most? Or am I living an, an unintegrated life? Because greed is sneaky. Remember? Greed is sneaky. We don't think we have a problem with it because we just measure ourselves to the people who have more than we do, who are more wealthy than we are. We just compare ourselves to them, right? But by the world standards, all of us in this room, we're filthy rich. We are. If you make at least $33,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of the global elite. You're rich. But you don't think you are because you're just comparing yourselves to people who have more than you. But an audit of your resources is an audit of your resources. Not theirs. Yours. And this can be a helpful thing to do every year. Just to sort of take your, look back on the, year, the prior year. Where did your money actually go? How did you spend your time? Is that in line? with my deepest convictions, the things that I say matter most. And I think there are some of us, I want to recognize, $33,000 a year in our part of the world isn't very much. It doesn't go very far. Life can be expensive here. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. And so I want to recognize that there are some of us who feel real financial stress. Things are tight. Things are tight. You could use some more, right? You could use some more coming your way. I want to recognize that as a real thing. I'll tell you what, we, we know that. As a family, when you step out to plan a church, guess what? Things get a little tight. I'm familiar with that feeling, so I'm not talking about it as somebody who isn't, you know, familiar with that feeling. But here's my thing. An audit can help us with this, too. Because when things are already tight, what an audit can show us is how much of our financial stress is from treating luxuries like necessities. Just because it's nice doesn't mean you need it. Maybe that's something some of us need to repeat. Just because it's nice doesn't mean it's necessary. And this is especially true when things are tight, right, when we're struggling a little bit. Because I, I don't think God works like this, all right? Let me, let me just say that really clearly. I don't think God works like this, but I still think this train of thought can be helpful. Some of us, we want God to send a little more our way, right? But if you were God and you were watching how you're managing what you already have, do you think God would feel good about sending more your way? I mean, sometimes that's, that can be a very clarifying way to think about this. Again, I don't think God works like a vending machine like that. Or, you know, I don't. But, I mean, sometimes more would ruin you. Because money amplifies what's already in your heart. And if you're not managing a little properly, what in the world makes you think you're going to manage a lot properly? All that's going to do is create bigger messes. And so some of us right now, we need to have an honest conversation with ourselves, and we need some help with this. And we got some wonderful people in this church they know how to do this. They do this for a living. 
and a willingness to sit down with you, maybe speak a hard word about how you are managing some of your resources and some ways to do it better. Right? But I think all of us, one of the things that would benefit from this is just some of us don't even know where our money goes because we make so much. We don't have to. We're not even aware of how much we spend on groceries or extra because we don't have to. Man, imagine what all that extra could do if we were more aware of where our money's going. Are you with me? Yeah? All right. I got two more thoughts, so don't leave yet. But I, th- I think another way we keep greed from running the show is to pursue simplicity. Verse 33, Jesus says this, Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. He says something like this several times in the Gospels. Something real similar. Like in Matthew, he says this. He, he kind of compares treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. In Matthew's Gospel, he's like, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasures on earth are, are things of life. And treasures in heaven, it's life itself. We've got to think about this. When he talks about heaven, he's not talking about some rewards we're going to get sometime else, somewhere else. You know? Do things now, then God's going to like give you a gold star and a cookie when you get to heaven. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about something that's available to us right now when he talks about heaven. And so I like thinking about it like this. There's all the stuff that makes a building a house, right? You've seen people like live in barn dominiums. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, you, you know, it's like a boomer thing, I think, isn't it? Like boomers. Right now we just love barn dominiums. It's cool. But like there's things you put in a barn to make it a house. Appliances a bathroom, kitchen, those are things that make that building a house. But then there's things that make a house a home. What's that? People, relationships, memories, right? The love and the life that's shared between people. That's the stuff that makes a house a home. When Jesus talks about treasures treasures on earth, he's talking about the stuff that makes a building a home, the stuff, the details. When he's talking about treasures in heaven, he's talking about life itself. The stuff that actually matters. Jesus is like, set your heart on that. Make your life about that. That's where the richness is. This past week, I'm telling you what, my life is just very interesting. Um, On Monday, I got to officiate a wedding ceremony at a hospice house, hospice hospice care. There's a couple that I'm... um, officiating their wedding in April, but the groom's mother is just, she's in bad shape. She's days away, right? And and they kind of wondered if she was sort of hanging around because she knew the wedding was coming. And so they decided, let's have a ceremony for her so she can see it at the hospice hospice house. So that's what we did on Monday. Everybody all dressed up. We went and we stood in the backyard of this hospice house, and we had a wedding ceremony that this mom got to witness. Everybody got dressed up, you know, it's beautiful. This is a really beautiful moment. It's one of those moments that feels kind of outside of time. You ever have moments like that? And here's what's wild. That was the least expensive wedding I've ever officiated. But it was so rich. I mean, we had plastic champagne flutes. They're playing music off a little Bluetooth speaker. You know, and flowers from Publix. But man, it was so rich. It's because in that moment, what mattered most is what people were most aware of, right? I, I've, done, I've done a lot of weddings. Believe it or not, I've done a lot of weddings. I know I still have a young face, you know? So I, this happens every time when I show up to, you know, to do a wedding. The wedding director thinks I'm like, it's like my first one, you know? 
and they can't, I've done a lot of weddings. I've done a lot of expensive weddings. The worst kind of weddings are the ones where the bride and groom are not present to what's actually happening. They're preoccupied with all the details. You can see, you can tell. Like they're standing up with you about to give their vows, and all they're thinking about is, does everything look okay? Did they show up? How's my hair? Like they're not present to what's actually happening. The details can get in the way, y'all. I think one of the ways we keep greed from running the show is we pursue simplicity. Because you know what makes you feel rich anyway? What makes you feel rich isn't how much you have coming in. What makes you feel rich is when there's margin. When there's margin between how much you have coming in and how much has to go out. That's what makes you feel rich. And one of the ways we create that margin is we learn to do with less. We embrace simplicity. We pursue it. We practice it. And so, you know, the thing about simplicity is it's not just about dealing with less. It's about getting rid of distractions that are keeping us from being attentive to the most important things. And so one of the most life-giving things some of us need to do right now is we need to downsize. We need to downsize in every single way. We need to cut out some stuff, create margins, simplify our lives, start saying no. Right? This might even be relationally for you. you got too many commitments. You're not able to actually commit to the stuff that matters most. Right? This is it. We're going to do a whole series on simplicity soon. I've been thinking about this a lot. I think it's one of the most countercultural things the church can practice, you know, to point people to a better way of being human. But for the time being, if you really want to kind of start getting into this, check out this website, becomingminimalist.com. I say that right? It's hard to word. Becoming minimalist. It all just kind of mushes together. Check it out, though. There's some really great resources on, on how to kind of start down this road. But, man, too much. It will choke you out. Last thought, okay? That storm didn't even come. Check it out. Looks great. Last thought. Surefire way to keep greed from getting stuck in our hearts. You ready for this? Practice generosity. Practice generosity. Jesus says it's so, so straightforward. Sell your extra and give it to the poor. I mean, it's just that simple. Sell your, if you don't need it, don't keep it. If it's more than what you need, give it away. Don't hoard it. Practice generosity. Man, don't hoard it like the farmer. But like he says at the end, be rich towards God, which is code word for be generous towards people. You want to know how you're rich towards God? Be generous towards people. Because for Jesus, those aren't two different things. the same side of the coin. You love God by loving people, right? Be rich towards people. So the key to getting this, though, this is super important. It's the last thing Jesus says in this section. We already looked at it, but let's look at it one more time. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's two sides to this, right? On the one hand, how you use your treasure reveals what has your heart. But at the same time, how you use your treasure has the potential to shape your heart. Heart follows treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Sometimes we got to put our treasure somewhere, and then our heart follows along. You want to have a generous heart? You want to be a generous person? And I promise you, you do. Everybody in this room, you want to be a generous person. I'll prove it to you. People in your life that you, that you appreciate the most. I'm not talking about just people you admire who accomplish a bunch of stuff and you admire them for all that. People you cherish. People you know, you're so grateful for. Who are they? People have been generous towards you. Am I right? We all know, even though greed is normal, it is so normal, we all know in our heart of hearts that the value of a life is all about how much they gave it away, not about how much they hoarded and kept to themselves. Am I right? 
So everybody, you want to be a generous person. I know you do. It's what you want more than anything. Last time, you go to a good funeral. Which I know it's a weird thing to say. But you go to a good funeral and you're celebrating a life. Are you celebrating how much they kept? What do you tend to celebrate? How generous they were. You want to be a generous person. So here's how you do. Practice generosity. It's like when you go to the gym. You want to get good at running. What do you do? You wait around until you feel like you actually like running and then you start running? What do you do? You run first. Right? If you want to get stronger, do you wait around until your muscles are stronger and then start lifting weights? No, you lift weights, that makes you stronger. In the same way, you want to have a generous heart, practice generosity. It will change you. It will change you for the better. And so my, my, my challenge for you, and we don't talk about this much here, because I don't want to talk about it too much, but here's my challenge and invitation. Be a per- percentage giver. Like, set a percentage and give. Give that every month. You know, in the first half of the Bible, the Old Testament, they call this a tithe. The idea was you gave the first tenth of your income, whatever came in your, your house, you gave that first tenth, you dedicated it to God. And it was, it was a way of saying the whole thing's actually yours because the first fruits represented the whole thing, right? The firstborn of a family represented a whole family. So the idea was, I recognize all this came from you, it's a gift, you know, I'll give the first ten back, and it'll be, it'll be a way of me saying, you know what, it's all yours anyway. I, I believe as followers of Jesus, we're not mandated to tithe, it's not some religious obligation Honestly, the bar gets set even higher with Jesus. What's he say? You got extra? Sell it. Give it away, right? It's a little bit more than than 10%. But I think there is something about deciding. Not just, I'll be generous when I feel about it. No, you won't. No, you won't. But when you you set a percentage, you say, I'm going to give this amount every single month. I'm telling you, it becomes a, a habit. It's this thing you do. And it begins to change you. And it's been liberating for me. You know, practicing regular giving is something my wife had to make us do because I wasn't going to do it. I didn't feel like doing it, you know. But she's way more disciplined than I am and better looking. But, um, you know, for me, if I'm honest, this regular deciding, hey, boom, it's gone. I'm doing it. It's the first thing we do every month. It's been liberating for me. Because it's my way of saying, you know what, I'm not going to be a slave to my appetites and my impulses. The first thing I do with what comes our way is we give. We're generous. It's been liberating for me. And it's a way for me to say, you know what? I am the kind of person who does what I say is most important. Right? I put my money behind it. Literally. So that's the invitation. And if you don't want to give here, don't. Don't. But give somewhere. And I'll be honest, we'll take it. (laughs) And we will put it to good use. And if we ever stop putting it to good use, you can hold us accountable to that. But if just give somewhere. Somewhere, find something you believe in and support it with your resources. Now, we actually want to finish this morning, though, by uh, taking a moment to honor, to recognize somebody who is such a big part of the community, but embodies all of this. Not greed, (laughs) but generosity. You know, every year at the big table, uh, we like to honor two people with what we call the Talon Basin Award. And the idea comes from John chapter 13. This is when Jesus shows his followers what real greatness looks like in the kingdom of God. It's like during the meal, he gets up and he, he actually washes their feet. Ew. It was something a servant would do, but he washes their feet and then he dries their feet with his own clothes. His way of saying, you know what greatness looks like in the kingdom of God? Not being served, but serving. That's where the idea of this award, you know, comes from. So what we want to do is we want to honor somebody. We always do two people, 
right, who embody this. At the dinner, we recognize Shelly Dempsey. Where are you at, Shelly? You're in the room. Yeah. Recognize Shelly. You know, for all the ways that Shelly serves the people in vision of Emmaus Church. But the other person we wanted to give the award to couldn't be there that night, but they're here today. And they have no idea this is happening. Isn't that fun? But we also want to honor the one and only Kathy Cooper. Where are you at, Coop? You stand up. Don't come up here yet. Stand up, though. Stand up for me. Oh, she's so mad at me right now. <laughs> Look at her. No, you stay. Stay standing. Yeah. You're the real deal, Kathy Cooper. The real deal. I mean, just some of the details. Kathy serves on our leadership board. Gosh, she's so much more than that. You all know it. Some of you have been blessed by her pound cake. Mm-hmm. You know, save your life. You help set up on Sunday. I mean, you're just there. And I, I asked some of your friends, people that do life with you, just to share a bit about you, you know. And here's some of the things that they said. She says, she's always the first person to volunteer anytime somebody's in need. Whether it's delivering, delivering or, or moving furniture, taking a meal, visiting with someone who's sick. Stay here, look at all these people. The pound cakes. The pound cake got, got brought up a lot. You know, it just did. But I love somebody pointed out how you and Tanya have this way of adopting people. New neighbors moving next door. I know your other neighbor went through some really hard times. Lost their spouse. But you all just folded them right in. And you took care of them. I asked somebody to share who had the chance of working with you. Rachel. She shared about you. Man, she wrote a, she wrote a lot. I'm going to ask permission to share it with you. But I love what she said. It's like this is not just who she is when she's around church folks. But she talked how it was so obvious that what drove you at work wasn't just trying to climb some ladder. But you're always trying to put yourself in a position to help more people. It's generosity. One of my favorite memories of her is Christmas Eve service this year. Remember, uh, Crossroads Church was generous to open up their doors for us, right? Well, that day, like in the afternoon, a ginormous tree limb fell in their parking lot. It was like huge, right? And so we had to get it out. We called the church, and they started working on it. But when I showed up that afternoon, guess who's already there? Kathy and Tanya and one of their friends, they roped into it with a big trailer, right? And people from Crossroads, God bless them, showed up with like a Saturn, a, like a little two-door car to haul this thing off. It's like, no, we got this covered, right? But can I tell you something? I mean this. One of the highlights of my time in ministry was getting to be the pastor to baptize you. We are so fortunate to have you as a part of this church. Where is that award, Leslie? You got that award? Did you bring it up here? Let's present her with... The Talon Basin Award. It's very heavy, but it is very pretty. You want to hold that? Yeah, you got it? Yeah. You guys can look at it later. Can we pray? Let's pray. God, we want to thank you so much for this example of a disciple. Somebody who doesn't just give you lip service. but Somebody who's really committed to your way of life. Who trusts you not only to, to save her and set her right, but to, to lead her. We thank you for the example that she is. I pray that we can all follow suit. To be people who not only commit to a simplicity, but people who live a radical generosity, who are always looking for an opportunity to give it away. Because that's how your kingdom becomes more and more of a reality here on earth. pray that Kathy and Tanya feel loved and appreciated because we are so glad to have them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We love you. We hug. Come here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Let's be generous people, yeah?
people who practice what we preach, people who look for chances to give it away and not keep it all to ourselves. Amen? Hey, if you are a group leader and you're planning on coming to the huddle with me afterwards, if you wouldn't mind maybe just meeting over in the corner real quick and we'll talk through the details on that. But everybody else, thank you for being here. Right? If you would like to contribute to what God is doing here, you can do that on your way out or you can do it using the app. We always love when you share uh, these messages with your friends. Church, thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.